0: Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This This is Hawk Hawk Central. Central. On Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO.
1: Happy Tuesday, Hawkeye fans. Welcome into the Hawk Central Radio Hour. We like to keep you on your toes, so we're here a night early on the air from 6 to 7 tonight on this Tuesday on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, a sports columnist who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes. Fun show for you tonight. A lot of you are probably familiar with my DVR Monday columns out of football games. Uh, because we have some crazy Sunday basketball games to dissect, the women's 82-79 to loss at Nebraska, in which they blew a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, and a 90-85 to men's win against Minnesota, in which they overcame a 20-point lead second-half deficit to uh, rally to the victory. Uh, We're going to dig deeper into the film, dig deeper into those games while looking ahead to a big week for both programs. Uh, Big midweek opportunities, the men at Maryland on Wednesday, Caitlin Clark and the women at home on Thursday, and uh, she will likely put the Kelsey Plum scoring record in her rearview at that time. We're going to start tonight with the biggest story of the winter in Iowa athletics the Hawkeye women, who are still ranked number four in the AP poll, still number five in the net, even after Sunday's loss. Want to dig into uh, everything, Nebraska and beyond. Welcome, Dargan Southerd. You were with me in Lincoln on Sunday. First of all, before we get to that, how did your Super Bowl props go?
0: Oh, man. I think probably the most painful one was uh, Brandon Ayuk finishing one yard short of the uh, 50 combined uh, (laughs) rushing and receiving yards to go with Pacheco. So that was a painful one. But um, some of the other ones hit Uh, McCaffrey, 30 rushing yards in each half hit. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, I think you just try to break even if you're... uh, if you go all out then i feel like i did that so we'll call that a win <laughs> yeah
1: you did better than i did the, the painful one for me was brock purdy i had over 12 and a half rushing yards the kneel down at the end of regulation pushed him oh, from no. 13 to 12 i had that in two different things so that was wow. a, that was a dagger because he never he never rushed again so uh yeah anyway we'll that's, get to that's rough. That was the the latter half of super Sunday. And we know Caitlin Clark and Molly Davis were happy about the chiefs victory against mm-hmm. the 49ers. But uh, let's talk about what happened earlier that day in Lincoln. Uh, we both kind of rewatched the fourth quarter. We were both there kind of, were talking during that game, Dargan, uh, you know, will she break the record? Will she not? What if she ties? How do we approach the coverage? Then none of that ended up coming to fruition. Instead, we saw the Hawkeyes lose a 71-57 to 57 lead uh, that started with Hannah Stolke getting a bucket right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. It seemed like everything was going to go fine, Dargan. Uh, what did you see when you kind of reviewed what happened in that fourth quarter?
0: Yeah, I mean, and and as is the case with any 14-point fourth-quarter lead that gets blown, it takes a, a conglomeration of bad things happening. So I, I think, you know, there's probably blame and Everybody, you know, that was on the floor uh, can shoulder some blame for this. So I don't think it needs to be pinned on one person necessarily. But, um, you know, I think I think the biggest thing for me was um, Iowa had chances to, you know, whether it was early in the quarter to push it from, you know, 14 out to 17 or 18. Um, they had a couple of chances in the middle to – get things from you know 7 to 10 and then really uh the two possessions where it was 77 75 and they had back to back possessions to extend it to four and as anyone knows basketball you can kind of you're up four with the final minute then you're kind of in control of how that final minute goes and so um you know there was some there were some shots missed Early in the quarter, by some of the the supporting cast that I think Iowa, you know, is is fine living with. Um, you know, Caitlin obviously didn't have a great fourth quarter as she, you know, dealt with well, you know, some sickness probably didn't didn't help things. Um, so, and, and then really the kind of the hidden thing um, in there was the two times that Iowa did connect from deep. Uh, Kate Martin's two threes in the middle of that. I think one pushed it from. Six to nine and then one from four to seven um and Nebraska immediately came down and hit a three to essentially negate both of those buckets mm-hmm. so um because you know this wasn't whereas the Ohio State collapse and the Maryland collapse, even though Iowa rallied there, those were more like quick swift you know four or five minutes and its change. this was kind of more of a slow burn of a collapse, and that's what made it you know, more difficult at the end, because as we know, you know, Nebraska didn't take the lead until 31 seconds remained, and that was the only 31 seconds that they led in the whole game, so there wasn't a whole lot of time to correct things once uh, the walls kind of fully caved in, and so, um, yeah, you know, I, again, I I think if you're Iowa, like, you you probably aren't, you know, sounding alarms or, or anything like that, there's still a lot of basketball left, but I think the one thing that is a little peculiar about all of this is, you know, blowing fourth quarter leads. And as Kate Martin said on the podium, playing not to lose instead of playing to win, that's not really something that you would associate a veteran team with the experience that Iowa has to do so. You know, that feels like somebody who freezes up when they're not used to having a lead late or anything like that. So uh, it'll be interesting, you know, to see if, if this can be. You know, another productive moment down the road you know I- Iowa obviously credited its losses last year as being big moments in the trajectory of the season um, you know the Hawkeyes have a chance to make that the case uh, over the next few weeks with this one as well
1: I got a lot of notes here on this good analysis there Dargan um, you know there was the notion that hey Caitlin Clark was trying not to score to set the record at home that I kind of went into that thinking, let's just check it out. And I, I came out of mm-hmm. it thinking that was not the case at all. She shot six times in the fourth quarter. Uh, there was a f- so there was a four possession stretch after Iowa took the 71-57 lead where others had shots. And I do think there's mm-hmm. probably my my read was there was an effort to get those you know, get some assists piled up or whatever. I mean, just like move the ball around because they, they did do that box and one thing on Caitlin and uh, mm-hmm. try to make others hurt them. And Bluter talked about that on her radio show too, that, you know, we had open threes, just missed them. I mean, Gabby Marshall in and out from a corner three. Uh, Sydney Fulcher, kind of a dribble drive turnover. Martin, Martin. has the corner three. It hits the, I mean, it's right on line, but it hits the back iron. And then uh, on the other end, you know, Stulkey gets a rebound off of Nebraska miss. It's still 71 59, and they call a travel on her. I thought it was a very questionable yeah, call. Was, I'm not going to blame it on the little, refs. Little but, and then Nebraska immediately scores, cuts it to 71 61. And then Clark's, you feel like, then you feel like she s- sort of starts to try to take over. She gets a really nice, clean look at a 15 footer. It goes, literally goes in and out. And then mm-hmm. Stulkey on the next drive misses a bunny. So it's still 71 61 at that point. So they had, a lot of opportunities uh Clark uh, definitely you know came up short on those threes late but it was I didn't feel like that I didn't feel like it was them trying to hold off the record at home I did not see that when I rewatched the game
0: No and I mean if I guess if you want to criticize anything it's maybe Iowa kind of just generally slowed down in general because they have done that before when they have leads late you know whether it's Caitlin just walking the ball up the floor, you know, they didn't really have that many opportunities to kind of push and transition in the fourth quarter. And again, you know, that is when everybody's the most tired. And so it's, it makes sense. You know, there are some, some elements to doing that, that um, makes sense, but it's just, you know, slowing it down and kind of working through the half corps that that's, that's not, that's kind of against what Iowa naturally does. And so, um, you know, I think it's another, Another moment for everybody to kind of just reset and um you know, I, I do believe that the scoring record really hasn't been like a huge distraction. Um maybe up until, you know, right at the end when she's about to break it. So, um but I'm I'm sure everybody will be happy to, to have it happen on right. Thursday and clear that hurdle and then get back to, you know, the most important stretch of the season, which is is right around the corner
1: yeah the so the only things I might criticize in terms of how they've you know coached or played would be the last minute in particular but because uh they're still up uh two it's seventy seven seventy five in the last minute I mean Iowa actually got a few stops they got some steals toward the end yep. again it wasn't like Nebraska just couldn't miss it was Iowa was getting some stops Iowa scores just three times on its final twenty one possessions it's just very uncharacteristic but uh you know, Kate Martin kind of gave you know put up a quick three with under a minute to go. Even the announcer even said something about, "Wow, that was early in the shot clock to put that up." And I was, I didn't understand that either. I mean, I felt like they—I don't know if they were trying to get like a two-for-one situation. Maybe that was the thought process. Uh, we didn't really ask about that, but the, certainly the one that I think Lisa Bluter also regrets is even after Jazz Shelley puts them up seventy-eight seventy-seven. With 30.2 seconds left. That was a tough shot, by the way. Give Nebraska a ton Mm -hmm. of credit for making three tough threes in that fourth quarter. Uh, You know, Iowa gets the ball 30 seconds, moves, you know, gets to move it up to half court or whatever. And you think, you know, well, they got the best player in the country, hold for one. Now, they, now, Caitlin said they just wanted to get uh, points, didn't necessarily, and Bluter said we weren't trying to hold for one. You can debate that if you want, but I just, it, it did seem like that the, Decision that Caitlin made to shoot the 30 footer was curious with 23 seconds left. It was a very deep three, Dargan, was it not? And mm-hmm. um, it was short. And uh, Bluters. Yeah, center, I believe that
0: was one of the ones that grazed the front of the rim.
1: Yeah, it was, was. The one when
0: they were down one.
1: Yeah. And so, and then Nebraska gets the rebound. Certainly, Iowa, you know, hoped to get that put back, the offensive rebound. Maybe that was part of the thinking to, you know, have time to foul, come back and get another three. I get all that. But I just, and Bluter just said on a radio show last night, you know, maybe we should have, you know, driven the ball, something to that effect. She also said Caitlin was really tired and uh, we could hear that in the post game. I mean, she was like, felt like uh, mm-hmm. uh, very sick. I mean, she didn't use that as an excuse, but you could tell she wasn't feeling well. And uh, so anyway, those, that part of it, I feel like, yeah, learn from next time you're down one. I think if you drive to the hoop there, a lot of good things can happen. You either get the foul call, Iowa hadn't shot a free throw all quarter. I think Caitlin probably gets that call if there's contact in that situation. Or, mm-hmm. you know, or she drives for two, or she drives and dumps it off to stalky for a lay-in. I mean, that all those things were on the table instead of the quick trigger three there.
0: Yeah, and you know, I guess the one thing that, you know, if if you can kind of get into Caitlin's mind in that moment, and and Bluter kind of said this, you know, immediately afterward, is obviously that's a shot she practices a lot and takes and makes, you know, a fair amount, you know, and and in Caitlin's mind, when she fires that deep shot, I'm sure she she thinks it's going in, but, you know, with 20 something seconds to work with, you know, could you have gotten something even better than that? And so um, I think the case of that is probably yes. Um, But again, you know, the, if if you want to go through these errors, you know February twelfth is a good time to do it yeah. because you know it's it's not right before March, but it's close enough to March to where you know you know as as Caitlin pretty much said point blank after the game, we got to stop blowing these leads, and yeah. so you know this is now the third time that this has happened um, in kind of a tight window here, and so. You know, there's, there's some more challenges in this final stretch here at Indiana. It's not going to be easy. Ohio state. Who's up to number two um, coming to Carver Hawkeye arena to end the regular season. So still some chances for Iowa to, you know, add, add some big momentum uh, getters here down the stretch before the postseason
1: starts. You're listening to Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Lysticoe talking Iowa women's basketball with Hawk Central teammate Dargan Southard. Uh, Let's move forward a little bit in the conversation while still kind of examining this fourth quarter deal. I thought in rewatching the game, uh, they really missed Molly Davis in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. That's I think that's been glossed over too much. She's only played a handful of minutes in the last two games. Lisa Bluter also on a radio show Monday night said they probably should have just sat her completely against Penn State uh, and listed her as questionable both games. They did not. Uh, she played four minutes against Penn State, played two and a half, I believe, against Nebraska, and none in the second half. But good news, Molly practiced in full on Monday and uh, looked like herself, uh, according to Bluter. So that's good. I feel like that Molly would have, you know, is that veteran presence too, and nothing against any of the players out there, but just putting on, putting her out there in place of either Gabby Marshall or Sydney Fulcher, you get a shot creator. I mean, the one time a Fulcher drove, you know, ended up being a turnover. You know, Gabby just, uh, you know, her shot is off right now. She still provides that good defense, but Molly out there, uh, you know, she she was out there when they closed out Maryland uh, in a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, and so I think that that part will also help when she comes back. And another thing that, that Lisa said, and I agree with this, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts, why not have a little more Taylor McCabe out there, especially if molly's dinged up i mean taylor would have would have been somebody you would not want to leave open (laughs) you know in that box in one situation you know get her out there and give her a few clean looks i know she'd be cold coming off the bench but uh i know she you know you might sacrifice a little defense but you might need her you know come tournaments come these big games because she is somebody that has a really good three-point stroke and you might need that down the stretch
0: Yeah, and especially as, you know, Lisa Bluter said multiple times after the game, things got stagnant, and that's when you have somebody like Molly Davis who can kind of break up that stagnant flow of things and just go get two points to kind of reset everybody. Um, And I think that's, you know, in her absence has, has emphasized even more how much she's grown into a very pivotal piece for this team because, you know, Molly Davis sits for a couple of games. You know, obviously you want her out there. You want your team at full strength. But you probably think that I was going to be able to overcome that and not have it be something that, you know, looks big at the end of the game. And that obviously wasn't the case on Sunday. So I think Davis's importance to this team um, is growing and gets, you know, more o- under the spotlight in her absence. And the McCabe side of things, yeah, you know, it's, I guess it's it's a little bit of an interesting setup with her because she's just played so infrequently and you know that's not exactly a great rhythm for a shooter to get into when you're only getting maybe one shot in a game every couple of weeks but um yeah I mean I think you know we've seen Gabby Marshall obviously turn things around late in the year and Mm. obviously Iowa seems to be banking on that happening again but you know the fact of the matter is she's you know, you, you take out the four threes that she hit against Northwestern. Not that she doesn't get credit for those, but just to emphasize, I think she's two for 20-something from deep, you know, other other than that game. So um, it'll be interesting if, if any of those, you know, little rotational adjustments get made, uh, you know, as Iowa tries to fine-tune everything here in the in the final stretch of the regular season.
1: Yeah, and Gabby brings so much on defense. Just watch her on defense. Yeah. If you never have, I mean, she she is so good on defense, and and that helps a ton. I was, you know, right at the top of the Big Ten in field goal percentage defense for good reason because they do have a, a better defense than they have had in the past. Um, let's look ahead now to Thursday's game, seven o'clock on Peacock. Dargon, obviously, everyone's going to be watching for Caitlin Clark to set that record. Uh, needs eight points to pass Kelsey Plum. We know it'll be kind of a big relief for all of us, I think, <laughs> when yeah. this record gets set, um, and it will get set uh, she, on Thursday, probably in the first quarter. I kind of think I wouldn't be surprised if Lisa spends a timeout shortly thereafter where they can just sort of you know acknowledge that. Maybe it comes at the end of the first quarter. I'm just kind of curious how it all does unfold. We'll find out all together on Thursday. But hmm. uh, as you look ahead to this Michigan game, it feels like to me – Sort of like that Drake game. Remember when they came off the K State loss, and it was like mm-hmm. it was like Buzzsaw City. Uh, I feel like Michigan could be uh, not good timing for the Wolverines to come into Carver.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously Iowa tends to put its best product on the floor at home, and there's no real reason to think that won't be the case against a team that's you know shown some flashes this year. But Michigan's not quite as potent as they've been, you know, in in the, in the past few years, but. Um, Yeah, I mean, going back to last week, uh, I think Lisa Bluter said they have been advised to not stop the game by the officials, but that they have some things planned. So uh, take that as for whatever direction you want to. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a cool night. I mean, it's going to be, you know, something that we've been, you know, seen coming for a long time. And um, again, you know, I don't really like I believe everybody when they say that it hasn't been a distraction because. I don't really think it has been much of, you know, really kind of a side story up until the last maybe week or so when she's gotten, you know, right here up against it. And, you know, there was a little bit of, is she going to break it Sunday or Thursday, you know, coming into that game. But, you know, once, once it's, once that record's cleared, you know, everybody can kind of dial back in for the season. And I'm sure Caitlin, uh, you know, obviously that's her primary focus right now, but, uh yeah, I mean, whatever number she finishes on uh will probably stand for a good while and so um that'll that'll be interesting to see what the final number of, of her chase or uh record setting run here uh, ends up being.
1: Yeah, she's at three thirty five twenty right now.
0: Um so yeah, we'll we'll
1: we'll see where she ends up after Thursday. I'm gonna say probably closer to thirty five sixty. I think it'll probably be closer to a forty forty point night for her. Uh, let's look at the Hawkeyes, um, you know, Big Ten standings here, and you know they do move down into that tie, that second place spot now with two losses. Ohio State has one. Iowa twenty two and three overall, eleven and two in Big Ten play. Finishing stretch Dargan in these last five regular season games: home against Michigan, at Indiana after a week off, uh, versus Illinois next Sunday, at Minnesota, then home against Ohio State on Senior Day. Currently projected by Charlie Cream as a number two NCAA tournament seed. So a lot to play for here down the stretch. And I think, you know, if you go 5-0 and here, which is asking a lot, it's not going to be easy, but then I think you're probably firmly back on that one line. You could maybe even go 4-1 and here and then win the Big Ten tournament and probably get a one seed as well. We'll get into more of that as we go. But, you know, this This was not a horrible loss Sunday at Nebraska. I mean, their net didn't drop. This is a a Nebraska team that's fourth in the Big Ten right now, was on the road. Weird circumstances, as as we just outlined. So I don't think it was as damaging a loss as people, you know, initially were starting to melt down and believe.
0: Right. And if you look at last year, you know, I was thinking about their run through the Big Ten schedule last year. And this loss, you know, at least on paper, feels kind of similar to the Illinois loss that they had at Illinois that started Big Ten play. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, for as bad as it is how the loss unfolded, I think, you know, again, Nebraska is probably going to make the tournament. You know, they're a team that's closer to the bubble, a little more desperate than Iowa. And, you know, you see teams up at the top around college basketball drop games like this all the time. So as long as it doesn't snowball into – you know, a losing streak of any sort, then I think Iowa should be able to, to have its best foot forward for the stretch. And, um, I mean, I guess the one thing it did damage, if you want to call it that, is uh, the one seed in the Big Ten tournament, whether that's winning the title outright or uh, finishing in a tie. Uh, that's going to be tough. Iowa probably needs to win out and get a little bit of help somebody beating Ohio State along the way just with the way the tiebreakers work. But, again, you know, the two big games are are monumental for Iowa, kind of adding that last little bit of substance to the resume. And they've done a good job in this stretch of the season um, under Caitlin Clark, even the year that they lost to Creighton. I mean, the, the finishing stretch was very strong yeah. um, going into the postseason. So they've kind of mastered this last couple-week of week push, and uh, we'll be interested to see if they can have a similar – Similar showing uh, this
1: season. <laughs> Thank you, Dargan, uh, who is also our Iowa baseball beat writer, so he will be in yeah. Iowa. <laughs> He's got Iowa baseball, baseball media Time. day on Tuesday. Uh, when you listen to this, that will already have occurred, but we just found out today, Dargan, that uh, the Hawkeyes are coming to Principal Park May 16th through 18th. Uh, give me 30 seconds here because we've got to run. But this – I mean, when they come to Des Moines against Florida International – uh, for that series, like they could be planned potentially if things go as planned for like to be hosting a regional.
0: Yeah, I mean, as as much as that seems like a little odd time to have a non-conference series, shout out Wisconsin for having no baseball program and creating an odd <laughs> number of teams. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the last weekend of the regular season has been very pivotal for Iowa over the last couple of years, whether that's going for a hosting spot, going for a bubble, or anything like that. So um, I'm sure it'll be a very cool weekend for everybody in Des Moines, but could be a very meaningful weekend on the field as well as Iowa tries to sure up its resume there at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, high expectations uh, for Rick Heller's team this year. All right, coming up next, I'll be joined by Tyler Tashman, who will join me to talk Hawkeye men's hoops. You're listening to Hawk Central here on 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico, Hawkeyes columnist for the Des Moines Register. Happy to be joined now by... Our Hawkeye basketball beat writer Tyler Tashman. Uh, Tyler, welcome. Uh, stretch run here for the Hawkeye men. Uh, you know, just down to a handful of games left in this regular season, but they got a lot to play for, and including on Sunday when they. Uh, I saw the score while I was covering the women's game. I was like, "Oh gosh, they're down fifty-one to thirty-four at home to Minnesota," and then uh, someone said, "Like after we got back from post game, the Iowa men." They won after it got done writing. So they beat the Gophers 90 to 85. Uh, Come back from a 20 point deficit in the second half. Tied for the fourth largest comeback win in school history. And it's the largest second half comeback and route to a win since they trailed by 22 at Illinois in 1987. I remember that when I was a kid. I mean, that was so long ago. It was such a memorable game when I was number one in the country. So that was a pretty historic comeback, Tyler. What was it like to cover that game?
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I felt like it was basically less than half uh, away from the season being over. Uh, that's how it felt. I mean, obviously, they would still have a, you know, a few more games to go, but that, that just felt like a game that if, if you lose it in that fashion, it's just it kind of would have cemented the trajectory of Iowa's season, and, and it would have felt difficult for them to rebound off of that. But uh, Minnesota stopped making basically almost every shot, which they had done up to that point in the game. Iowa ramped up the defensive pressure. Minnesota just kind of clammed up. And then they just really got into a rhythm offensively and used that momentum to finish the deal. I mean, it was a lot similar to the game at Indiana, where Iowa got down really big, uh, made a huge comeback, took the lead in the second half, except the difference between the Indiana game and the Minnesota game was at this time they... Uh, were able to close the deal so i mean i i was not thriving not exactly thriving um but they're also not totally done yet i think you know they they showed really good fight and resilience to be able to come back and um kind of at least prolong the chance of making the ncaa tournament a little bit longer that might that hope might be squashed uh, at some point, and it might be in the near future, but at least for the moment, uh, the hopes are still alive.
1: So I had a chance to watch the game for the first time uh, and rewatch that second half, and uh, it was remarkable. It was a remarkable comeback. Iowa scores on 25 of its 31 second-half possessions. That's crazy. Almost 1.7, so 1.677 points per possession. That is wild, uh, for a whole second half. What did you see kind of uh strategically there happen in the second half? Obviously Dawson Garcia going out from Minnesota, you cannot uh you know, overblow that. So that was a big factor. He was their best player. Uh goes out with a lower leg injury. But uh what did you see happen like uh schematically that kind of brought the Hawkeyes back, Tyler?
2: Yeah, they did they did kind of ramp up the defensive pressure, so just forcing Minnesota to be a little bit more chaotic in uh, what they were doing offensively. And obviously it helps that, I mean, Minnesota was just missing a lot more shots in the second half. But um, also Patrick McCaffrey, I mean, I don't think it can be overlooked the impact that he had off of the bench. 21 points, um, this was his best game in a while. And I mean, he's he's had a tough run of it this season. He's a guy that was supposed to be uh, one of the main options coming into the season as a veteran guy, uh, that, that hasn't really come to fruition. He, he missed a game with an illness. The first game he came back, he dealt with an ankle injury. Now he's coming off the bench um, a, after uh, beginning the season in the starting lineup. But if this is the Patrick McCaffrey that mm-hmm. Iowa can get off the bench, and it, it might not even be this version, but closer to this version than you know, some other games where he, you know, really wasn't producing at all. Um, That's a huge lift off the bench to be able to have a guy that uh, has been around a while, has length and size. Um, So I think that was huge too. And it also just, it kind of exemplified this Iowa team. We've seen what at their best, they are very good at their worst. They are also very bad and they've been, they've switched that, that's kind of switched on and off at a moment's notice. And they go from being really good to really bad and really bad to really good very quickly. So this last kind of stretch is a question of can Iowa close the gap between, you know, when they play really poorly, can they limit that as much as possible become the team that uh, they have shown flashes of being, but not really on a consistent basis. If they can put that together together, I feel very confident about where they can end up this season. If not, I don't feel very good at all about their chances of making the NCAA tournament because when they're bad, they are very bad.
1: Yeah, a couple things that stood out to me on the rewatch. Patrick McCaffrey has always been a really good transition player, and he got some good transition looks. He's like so good at finishing in transition. That was a big part of him uh, having 21 points and uh, a plus-26 rating, uh, team best. Maybe his best game of the season? Would you say that is accurate, Tyler? For Patrick,
2: I feel like he had one earlier in the season that was, when he was against not as good competition that he played well, but I, this was definitely one of the best. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah,
1: and so he kind of takes over for Ben Cricky. Honestly, Ben Cricky does not play the last eight fifty-seven. Seemed like uh, Iowa's defense, like you said, you know, got better with Ben off the floor. Nothing. You know he he does bring offense, but defense not his strength. And then you end up with McCaffrey with 21, Peyton Sanford 21 points, eight rebounds um, for Owen Freeman 17 points, four re- 14 rebounds. Tony Perkins his usual kind of 18 points, six rebounds, four assists. That's kind of like his standard line of late. So when you got four guys scoring like that, and you, that doesn't even count, cricky, um, that's pretty potent. So uh, I liked. How Fran just winnowed it down. He only played six guys in the second half. And one of those guys was Josh Dix, uh, Tyler, and I feel like you know his minutes are coming when he does get the minutes. He didn't at Penn State. He did in this game. His minutes are just so solid. I mean, and that's why you're seeing. I think the the roles diminishing for Desante Bowen and Brock Harding because Josh he gives you defense. He gives you ball security. He's not going to turn it over much. And he can also shoot the three, so I feel like he's almost uh, takes the best attributes of all those guys in some ways, and is the guy you want in that spot. So I'd like to see, even though he didn't score a ton in that game, I felt like Josh on the floor was also a big, uh, a much more uh, profound impact than a, than when he wasn't on the floor late in that Penn State loss.
2: And and Fran McCaffrey did say about uh, Josh Dix, the lack of play in the second half against Penn state was that he had kind of gotten, you know, nicked up a little bit during the game and Fran just felt like he wasn't quite all there physically. So that's why he didn't play a lot um, down the stretch of the game. But yeah, I mean, he has made the jump between freshman and sophomore seasons that you would have really hoped for a guy that showed flashes as a freshman, but um, you know, moved into the starting lineup this season and it hasn't been all perfect. I mean, he, when his first career start against Iowa State, a game that we were both there for. <laughs> I was, know. We're always going mean, to be able to write about
1: that. His first career start was uh, horrible.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was about as bad as you could have, for, for both him and Iowa, about a bad, as a, a bad of a start as you could have possibly gone off to. But to his credit, uh, you know, ends up coming back in the starting lineup when, when Patrick McCaffrey goes out. And he, I mean, he has just been, he's just very solid, Uh, you know he's very reliable he's not gonna make too many dumb mistakes he can shoot the ball which um, really him and Peyton Sanford have been carrying Iowa from three-point shooting that is one thing I I I wanted to say a concern but uh, if Iowa has enough guys that can make a a good percentage of shots from deep it's basically been him and Peyton Sanford a lot of the time but uh, yeah, he's he has made, I think, him and kind of DeSante Bowen, two guys I would hope to make the jump to sophomore season. DeSante has kind of fallen off, you know, fallen off of the, you know, out of the rotation a little bit after starting the season. Yeah. He hasn't made that jump. So has jump, Brock, yeah. But, but Dix has made that jump to his sophomore season that, that you really like to see. And he, I mean, he feels like kind of a foundational piece moving forward.
1: And we asked uh, we got out on the zoom today with Fran McCaffrey, and uh, no lineup changes. He's, he does expect Patrick to keep coming off the bench and Josh Dix to remain in the starting lineup. But, uh, do you think uh, you know I, I was kind of wondering what he might say about that. so i was I was glad he gave some definitive answers on that that he's gonna stick with his starting five, but it, part of me was thinking like, well, you know, maybe Patrick back in the starting lineup wouldn't be bad and maybe even, you know bringing in Owen Freeman off the bench which i know sounds crazy but the thing that kills this team tyler is when owen freeman gets in foul trouble that's like the that was the biggest thing that stood out to me in this game is that owen freeman played a lot of minutes and when he plays a lot of minutes this team is really really good
2: yeah i, I like fran mccaffrey's answer and basically saying that he'll stick with josh, josh Dix in the starting lineup i think a lot of people would probably agree with that I, I think Patrick he can bring Iowa another dimension if he's coming off the bench and you don't necessarily need him to be that alpha score um or really a consistent score where if he's if he's not scoring off the bench um you know it's not fatal to Iowa's hopes but if he is it gives them a significant boost I think Josh Dix has earned that spot in the starting lineup and has really played well and Owen Freeman yeah I mean he's he's dealt with uh, foul trouble, but I think you just, you need him on the floor as much as possible because his presence just makes such a difference. Um, and, I mean, he the, the last play of the first half against Minnesota got one of his front teeth chipped. Um, you know, he said he didn't know what happened until he basically spit out part of his tooth, played through it the rest of the way. Um, and, I mean, what, he was fantastic. And, and really, Iowa is a different team because of just his length and ability to grab rebounds. Uh, They just, you know, playing Cricky at the five, which they did to start the season, it's just it's not good enough from a rebounding perspective. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Owen is, he is, if you're, I know there has been some discussion this season of, like, well, who is Iowa's star this season? Like, do they have an alpha guy? As we've been having that discussion, I think it's been pretty clear who that guy is going to be moving forward next season, and potentially a season after that, um, it, you know, it, it would be Owen Freeman as a guy that is going to be, uh, from my view, one of the premier not only big men but players uh, in the Big Ten moving forward. And, and I mean, that's a great thing to be able to build around if you're Fran McCaffrey moving forward.
1: I mean, he, he's winning so many of these Big Ten Freshman of the Week. He's got to be Big Ten Freshman of the Year, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, he, I would think he's a front runner at this point. He's he's won eight. Uh, which is second all the time in the Big Ten. The only uh, player to have more was Jared Sellinger at Ohio State, who had 12. So I mean, he is—he's touching rare air. I mean, he—he he is. And I don't have to look at the numbers, but you know, you got to put him in the upper echelon of freshmen to ever play at Iowa.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I wasn't like serious about benching him, you know, Owen Freeman. But I guess my point being is, like, when he gets those early fouls, it just like kills the. Team's momentum because Fran won't put him back in. Understandably, I guess, but you know he had two fouls in the first half against Penn State. He ends up with two fouls, you know, in that game. So uh, that's the part I I feel like is so critical to this team is keeping him out of foul trouble.
2: And and part of that too is I think is it's just not if if he's in bad defensive position, just let the guy score without fouling. Like a, a two points is. So much less uh, of a detriment to Iowa than if he picks up a dumb foul and gives up an and-one. Like, you know, I think that's part of it is just being more cerebral with if you're in bad position, don't bail the guy out with a foul because, uh, you know, sometimes the, the the best thing for him in Iowa is just his availability. So right. uh, just being smarter about that, and I know they they've watched film with him they have tried to show him what he's doing, so it's not like, you know, this coaching staff is just turning a blind eye to it. It's something they're very much working on. But yeah, you you really for Iowa to reach its potential this season, they need him on the floor.
1: Coming up next, we're going to look ahead now for this Iowa men's basketball t- team. Two big games this week for the Hawkeyes at Maryland on Wednesday, home against Wisconsin on Saturday afternoon. Should be a fun environment there. Tyler Tashman and I will talk about that next here on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Leistico here of the Des Moines Register, rejoined by Tyler Tashman, also of the Register. We cover the Hawkeyes. Uh, a little bit of Iowa football, Tyler. We've uh, uh, dominated today with basketball, but a touch of Iowa football. Four Hawkeyes get invited to the NFL Combine. Cooper DeGene, Eric All, Logan Lee and Torrey Taylor. Obviously, Cooper will be the uh, the star of the show this year for the Hawkeyes, but it won't be a big NFL draft year for the Hawks because uh, a lot of guys are staying in school, guys that might have been drafted. And then also uh, no announcement yet on Iowa wide receivers coach, but probably uh, I would guess it would probably come later this week with John Budmeyer being that guy uh, as wide receivers coach. So something to look forward to uh, news-wise then, and we'll we'll hit you up at that point. Uh, any thoughts if it is Bud Meyer, Tyler?
2: Well, um, you have some, I guess. Just it's retained, right? It's a sort of higher from within, so you do have the fam- familiarity piece there. Um, he, he has worked a lot with Iowa's quarterback. I mean, he, he helped get Cade McNamara to Iowa, Deacon Hill. So there is, uh, you know, the familiar- familiarity piece. I think is good. The I mean, I guess the kind of downside to it is that he hasn't really coached wide receivers at a high level and for a position group that i'm that was one of i was two weakest p- position groups this past season Um, uh, you know that's a little bit of a concern of how much from a technical standpoint and uh what have you is he going to be able to elevate that room but um yeah okay <laughs>
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, we got about eight minutes left here. Let's talk about some <laughs> Iowa hoops. Um, Hawkeyes fourteen and ten overall, six and seven in Big Ten conference play. Only two and a half games out of second place in this weird Big Ten, Tyler. But three games out of last place. Last place, Michigan. You know, three and ten in the Big Ten. Still don't understand how Iowa lost at home to them, but they did. Uh, Iowa number sixty six in the net, so a lot of work yet to do, Tyler. Maryland is eighty one, so this is actually a quad two road game Wednesday night uh, Terps are 13 and 11 overall five and eight in the Big Ten and then how about this from James Allen at Sports Info this is the first time in program history that Iowa has played on Valentine's Day that is really hard to believe but he said it's true he said it's true yeah. so um, is this a revenge game though Tyler you and I covered that Iowa home game against Maryland where they melted down at home Uh chance to pay him back here on the road in College Park where the Hawkeyes have won the last two by a combined 45 points.
2: It, it might come down to just the fact of how well does Iowa shoot from three because Maryland, Maryland's a really good defensive team. That's basically what they made that game at Carver. They made it kind of ugly. Um, it, you know, Iowa didn't even get to 70 points. So how is Iowa's offense going to be able to fare? And, and I think more in a broader sense, it's just which – which Iowa team shows up for longer during the game? Is it the first half of the Minnesota game? Is it the uh, you know the back half of the, that that second half where they, Iowa just was really Im- imposing itself? And the problem kind of right now is that if if I was having this issue of well which which team are they and if it if it's November or December or I guess you could even say early January, you you feel better because. You have time to grow. You have time to kind of reach that full potential. The fact that we're kind of still having this conversation uh, in mid-February, that's, that's the kind of troubling part of it. Now they have time to put it together and, and get closer to peaking at the right time, but they are cutting it awfully close. So, yeah. I mean, at this, at this point it's just kind of hard to know what you're going to get uh, on a game-to-game basis and even within the you know each segment of four minutes in a game.
1: Yeah, I do feel like if you look at the, the six-man rotation Fran used in the second half, uh, four of those guys are are veteran guys. Ben Cricky, fifth-year senior. Patrick McCaffrey, fifth-year senior. You got Tony Perkins, you know, has been through the wars at Iowa and is as a senior, and then Peyton Sanford's played a lot of really high-level basketball for the Hawkeyes as a junior. So I feel like the urgency is going to set in for all those guys, so I would not be surprised if Iowa puts its best, best basketball together down the stretch. But, Tyler, this is a just such a monster week uh, with both games. I feel like we've talked so much about how this season ends after this week. It's at Michigan State, at Illinois, home against Penn State, at Northwestern, home against Illinois. So that's a tough finishing five. Wisconsin looked like it was going to be a really tough one at home. They've slid a little bit of late. Ah uh, Ken Palm has Iowa losing both these games this week uh, th- by three at Maryland by one at home on Saturday but both are very winnable and Iowa could get I feel I like can get right back into the bubble conversation with a two 0 a week with opportunities ahead
2: that's th- this last stretch is really difficult um, you probably only look at maybe the Penn State game and say hey that's that's one Iowa probably gets, but even then, I, I mean, Iowa just lost on the road to Penn State, so even that one you don't feel great about. But at the same time, it, it provides a lot of opportunity, and, and I think that's not a bad thing for Iowa right now, given where its resume is. It has, you know, I guess you look at probably two of its better wins being against Seton Hall and Nebraska. That'll carry a little bit of weight on their resume, but it's not one that is going to the selection committee is going to look at them and say, wow, we need to get them in the NCAA tournament because they won those games. So because of the, this last stretch is so difficult, they're going to have opportunities to build some of those uh, resume-building wins. Um, you look I mean, Wisconsin, and even though they haven't been playing well lately, that's a great opportunity to do so. At Michigan State, is going to be really difficult, but if they were somehow able to pull that out and playing uh, Illinois, two of the last four games of the season, two really big opportunities to get that resume up. So it's not going to be easy at all, but uh, it also provides a really good chance for Iowa to capitalize on some of those opportunities that they haven't uh, at the rate that they have needed to so far this season.
1: Yeah. It's Wisconsin currently 21 in the net. So that'll be a quad one game on Saturday. Michigan State currently 23 in the net. That'll be a quad one game for sure on the road. And then Illinois, number 13 in the net. So those three games after this Maryland game, those are Iowa doesn't have a quad one win this year. Those are three chances at them. So you can move up really quickly in those rankings with some success here. So can they put their best basketball together? I do think that they can, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited for this week ahead. How about you?
2: I think the one thing that Iowa has or not one thing, one of the things Iowa has going for him is, is the leadership. I, I can't really it's hard to put into words how good of a leader I think Peyton Sanford has been. He I mean I, I've kinda tried to describe it as like when when Iowa loses a game, like he just looks totally like everything has been zapped out of him and I mean that as a as a as a good thing as like he is he really takes it hard and this means something to him. And when Iowa wins, he just looks like he's like a kid in a candy shop, just like smiling wide, just having yeah. the best time of his life. So his leadership and like you can just tell how much how invested he is, how much he wants to win. Um, and, and Tony Perkins, another guy who this potentially he could come back next season, but this could be the last stretch run of his college basketball career. This is the last stretch run of Ben Cricky's college basketball career. So you're looking at guys that are kind of you know staring down the finality of, mm. of their college careers, and um, I think the leadership and, and their want to and their togetherness because they've been through a lot this season they, they've been through personal hardship, they've been through rough stretches on the court. Uh, it feels like they they have really done a great job of staying together and being resilient. They just need to continue to stack those down the stretch and have that turn into some meaningful wins.
1: Well, you've got a busy travel week ahead. we only got about a minute left, but I just want to give our, our listeners a glimpse. After the Saturday game against Wisconsin, Tyler's going to get in the car. He's got the Tuesday game at Michigan State. Then he gets to go back to Assembly Hall for the women's game at Indiana, then circles back on I-74 through Champaign for the Iowa-Illinois road game next week. So you're going to hit the dusty trail for Hawk Central here in the, in the coming days.
2: Well, the, I mean, those three incredible venues. Seriously, uh, yeah. Go, like the atmospheres are, are not going to be lacking at any of those venues. So, yeah, it's going to it's gonna be a lot jammed into a little bit of time and a lot of travel, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to being there.
1: Awesome. I've gotten uh, a lot of really good feedback for you and about you on the Hawkeyes beat in your first year. So appreciate all the hard work you're doing on the men's basketball scene, Tyler. And uh, uh, look forward to reading your Brody Brecht story out of Iowa Baseball Media Day and talk to you soon.
2: Yep, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: All right, and thank you, Hawkeye fans, for joining us on a Tuesday night. We will catch you next week with plenty of basketball to talk about uh, and possibly a wide receivers coach hire here on Hawk Central, 106.3 KXNO. Good night, everyone.